היי חיילה, שנה טובה. שנה טובה, יעל. Should we explain what that means? Well, first, before we explain what that means, um, why do people say, why do Americans say, say לשנה טובה? It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. It's like, I see it on reform emails. People are like... It's a reform thing. It's like the orange on the Seder plate. <laughs> I don't what know. Is, I don't know why they say that. It, I know. I've never heard anybody in Hebrew say לשנה טובה. No. It's like the difference between happy new year or for a happy new year. Yeah, it's Or awkward. to a happy new year. Yes, yeah, it's an that. awkward language. Yes, it's it doesn't make sense. But yeah, we don't say that anyway because we're Haredi and we say other things. What do you say? Go to the mikveh. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't know. For happy new year, we don't say, we definitely don't say happy new year. We would say a blessed year. We say like in Yiddish, you say a good gebench to yar, like a, you should have a good blessed year. But you don't um, say shana tova? We say shana, it's more like modern. I don't know. I guess really? some people would say it, but oh it's God. kind of like a modern, yeah. The people are like listening are like, literally the Jews can't even <laughs> disagree <laughs> on how to greet each other yeah, that's so on funny. the holiest days. And I mean, we we'd say, them- I, I guess we do say shana tova. Like you say, there's a whole like thing you say, you know, we should be blessed with a happy, healthy, sweet new year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. you can't go wrong with a good uh, Chag Sameach. Yeah, unless it's Yom Kippur. Yeah, yeah. I know but, people say Chag Sameach, Happy Holiday on Yom Kippur, and you're like, really? Are you happy right now? Starving? Yeah. And not well, showering? people also say Happy Memorial Day, which I think <laughs> is kind of funny. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I just want to say one thing. Like people have been asking me about Rosh Hashanah, and and I just want to say one quick Jewish like thought on this because. Mm-hmm. I should use this platform for some education at some point. <laughs> sure. um, and I want to clarify something about Rosh Hashanah. So the only biblical commandment related to Rosh Hashanah is to hear the shofar mm-hmm. being blown. So please, I know I've said this before, but if you're going to do anything, it's not about the dinner. It's not about brisket. It's not even about mm. apples and honey. All of those things are good and you should do them and you should definitely like do all of the different customs that we have. But if you're going to do anything for Rosh Hashanah, please go to synagogue or find a Chabad kid on the street and have them blow the shofar for you um, because that is the one biblical commandment. And so if I you won't, then that. God will punish you. No, God, With a bad it. ear. No, can, God can you list? Can you do it on YouTube? Can you like YouTube shofar? I mean, no. What if you don't have access to a synagogue or a Chabad kid? I mean, if, I, I don't know. Ask your local rabbi. Ask I'm not your sure. local rabbi. If Honestly, that's a question of whether you're Orthodox or not. I mean, obviously for an Orthodox person, the answer is no. Um, if you're not Orthodox, maybe that works for you. But I think everyone should try their best. I'm really, I, w- I wrote this on my Facebook several years ago. And mm-hmm. you know, your memories pop up on Facebook. Oh, yeah. That's the only I reason I that. post on there. No, it I love those. It makes old. Oh, it makes oh, me feel so it. old. I love, I mm-hmm. get like these little <laughs> pictures of my kids. Like I, that's the only reason I ever post on Facebook is because I want it to like <laughs> pop up in 10 years. But um, I wrote this thing a few years ago and it said, you know, please parents take your kids out of school for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur because they will not remember what they learned that day in school. Like it will be meaningless. No, you don't mm. learn anything in second grade or seventh grade or 12th grade. I mean, all of it's meaningless, but they will remember that it was an important day that you miss school for. And it's mm. like, even if you're not religious and even if you don't even go to temple or whatever, like make Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur special for your family that they yeah. know it's a different day and that it's important. And I think for sure, take work off and don't go to school. And I, I beg my students, don't go to class. Like Kids, if okay. you're listening to this, skip school. Yeah. 
Exactly. No, I, I really believe it. I mean, who cares if you're not in school one day? Seriously. Yeah. But like your kids will always remember and you will always remember that you made a, a choice to take those days off. And like in a time when we celebrate everyone's diversity, like this is a way for Jews to like show that it's not, we don't just talk about being Jewish when it's anti-Semitism. Like mm-hmm. this is important to us. This is our new year. This is our day of judgment. Like take it seriously. That's all. Yeah. Well, I will be, there's not the I will be in Israel for the entirety of the Jewish holidays. So That's I will, de- whether I like it or not, I will feel some, um, Good. some Holy Spirits. Also my parents building, there are a lot of French Jews there and they have a little synagogue Oh, um, outside so cool. the building. Yeah, I don't know. They're kind of obnoxious, to be honest. Oh, stop it. Um, I mean, we can all agree has... that French Jews are obnoxious, right? No. I feel no, like that's I have two, kind of across the I board. I have two sisters-in-law who are French, and I love them. And, they but are they the probably think people. that French Jews are obnoxious, too. <laughs> Maybe. I'll ask them. <laughs> I mean, one sister-in-law for sure does not listen to this podcast, and one does, so I will ask her. Well, last time, last year, I was in Israel for Yom Kippur, and we went... Um, Synagogue hopping, which was actually really fun in my parents' neighborhood. Uh, My parents live in the south of Tel Aviv. So we got to walk by the Yemenite synagogue. We walked by the super like yuppie synagogue. We walked by the Chabad synagogue. Oh, good. Um, So it was nice. I I have a question about your parents' Mm -hmm. building, which I've been to visit your parents' apartment, but I I don't know this answer. Do they have a Shabbat elevator in their building or is that not something they build in Tel Aviv? That's a good question. Like in Jerusalem, they would. So actually, I think the, I don't know if the owner of the building or the general manager, somebody very high up in the building is actually Orthodox, which is very rare. Um, And I think he bought, I might be butchering this story. I'm sorry, dad, if you're listening to this, but (laughs) I think he gave everyone like really nice mezuzahs when they moved in. No, I think they do. You know, they do have a Shabbat elevator. I think they they do. do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would make sense. Yeah, whenever I, uh, it's a big building. And whenever I come home, I, uh, at work, my office where I work here in New York, um, our lobby is on the fifth floor. So whenever I go down, I hit five because, you know, it's one of those elevators where you have to hit the where you're going. And my parents have one of those too. And every time without fail, when I go home, I hit five and then I, and then I walk (laughs) out on the fifth floor and I'm like, where am I? That's so funny. Well, yeah. should I explain? I mean, I should probably say what a Shabbat elevator is because not everybody's going to know. Oh, but right, right, right. Especially since we, we were talking about uh, Shabbat refrigerators the other I know, day with our friends. I know. So basically, if you're in a big building, like a tall building, and you, you can't use the elevator on Shabbat because it's, um, you know, electronic or whatever. I don't even know the right term. But there's a workaround. So if the elevator is going up and down and stopping at every floor anyway... And you don't have to press any buttons or push, you know, for your floor and it's not doing it specifically for you, you can hop on the elevator and use it. So in Israel- it stops on every floor. And it stops on every floor. Usually what it does is it goes all the way to the top and then goes one one at a time on the way down. In some places, like if there are lots of floors, like a very tall building, it will skip some floors. So we'll do like every third floor or every, mm. you know, whatever. I bet so you, you some of our little... American listeners are listening to this and they're like, oh, that's what that was. Yes, I know. Because you've probably been in one of those <laughs> once in like New York or in a hospital. Yeah, the hospitals, half of them. Yeah, yeah. So it's... um. It's very helpful if you're staying on a on, in a hotel that has like a high and you're on a high floor. You should write a book, the the great book of Jewish workarounds. <laughs> I know. Like Not everyone the... will use the Shabbos elevator. I definitely would. Really? Um, yeah. You know what people don't know? That the Venetian Hotel 
mm-hmm. in Vegas, which is a really yeah. nice hotel in the Palazzo. Um, it used to be owned by Sheldon Adelson, but he passed away and then they sold it. Um, but they had some Shabbos uh, rooms, which meant mm. like it didn't have an electric key. It had a right, like an old fashioned key. And Oh, really interesting. interesting. Are you yeah. allowed to gamble? Not on Shabbat, just like in general. Like, oh, are you allowed to go to the um, casino? Yeah. I mean, I do. I, I There's probably like a something in the Talmud, like if you I'm give ten sure percent of your winnings to Tzedakah. No, I, I mean it's not like oh my God, go and gamble. I don't think they really promote yeah. that, but I don't think there's a prohibition. Let's not open it up know. because I feel like then somebody would like write a law about it. <laughs> um, I'm surprised actually that we yeah, but we do. Um, I but, uh, I won five hundred dollars at a slot machine a few years ago. Hey. I know. Nice. I like uh, I like gambling. What what can I, I say? I love slots. I love slot machines. Really? I like oh uh, I like blackjack. I can sit really? at a blackjack table and no. blink and it will be like three hours later. No, I can't add as fast enough. Like I, I always forget well, how they'll help like, you though. The, I know. I always forget though. Like, do I go? Do I not? 18? Do I, I don't know. Yeah. The nice thing about dealers is that, uh, first of all, like the art of casino dealing is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting. There's so many rules. It's like, it's like the, it's like the Chabad. There's so many rules <laughs> and they can That's even funny. play your hand for you because the way they play, cause you're always playing against the dealer is there are laws so right. they don't not going to change how they play. So you can ask them to do it for you and look at your cards. Oh, really? And then yeah, and then there are all these things like you don't you can't hand the money. You have to put the money on the table. Wow. And they oh, change right, right. every fifteen minutes because they don't want you to get like attached to them. Because the biggest I think the biggest fear of the casinos is not that you as a guest will steal money or scam them. It's that the dealers will. The dealers. Oh, that's That's so why they have they have all these rituals. They have to bathe before. Okay. <laughs> you know what I love? I love roulette. Do you ever play roulette? Roulette makes me nervous. I can't. Ugh, it's like, I love it. I don't like... There are things that make me nervous, like roulette. Pac-Man makes me nervous. I know it's not a casino game, but I don't <laughs> like being chased. What about um, the... Um, you know what I really love playing? Skee-ball. You know that game where you throw oh, the ball and it has to Yeah. Be I was exactly, always yeah. really good at that. I like I'm a that pretty game. I'm pretty good at that. I I'd like yeah. I'd like to think I'm good at that. Yeah. Um, or any any arcade tickets. games. Remember no. like when you were a kid? Ugh. Ugh, I love them. Uh what's what was that one called? Uh, Mortal Kombat? No, I never did any of those. But I did oh. I just took my nieces and nephews who were here from Israel to an arcade. First of all, it's hell on earth now. Like it's yeah. so loud. Like a Dave and it's Busters. So loud. I went to like yeah. a yeah. I, I was dying, but there was this one game and I was like, I have to try it. It's like you're snowboarding in a oh, race. Oh, I love that. And you're oh, on a snowboard. It was so fun. <laughs> I the loved best. it. I was not bad, actually. And they must be so good now, these games with all the Oh, they're so like, good. I know. When we were growing up, the games were so... But it, it says something about the human mind. We were just as addicted to games on like an in, old Nintendo or Game Boy that was black yeah. and white. Just as addicted as kids. I are never today. did any of that, but I definitely liked Pac-Man, oh. and we would play Snake. You remember that Snake game we had? A, oh, I, I a, finished. Um, you know, I finished Snake once. Have you ever you finished did? the game? No. Yeah, it just so. it's just when the whole when yeah. the whole screen is is a snake is is a oh, long that's snake. That's yeah. So cool. I, I got mine. My, what was that one that Minesweeper? Minecraft? Minesweeper. Oh, Minesweeper. Yeah, oh, yeah. Again, God. very made me very oh. nervous. I used to Very play nervous. That for hours. Oh, you know what I heard? I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I heard it. <laughs> so I'm going to repeat it because um, it's such a harmless, great, fun fact. You know, all the Windows games like uh, Solitaire, Free yeah. Cell, 
Minesweeper, and what was the other one? Uh, forget. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Hearts. Hearts. Uh, I read somewhere or heard somewhere that the games were put on there to teach people how to use the different functions of Windows. Because they have like right click and left click and double click and all these things. That actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. My grandmother used to Mm -hmm. sit for hours and play solitaire on the computer. Like that was the only thing she knew how to do on the computer. She, yeah. And we, it was like the early version of whatever they had a PC, you know, and it, she would sit for hours playing solitaire. I I just can picture her sitting in there at the end when, when all the cards go up or is that free? So what, what game is it when all the cards go like, like, yeah, they like, (laughs) (laughs) God, I love that. Yeah. Anyway, so we wanted to do a short little intro um, yes. because the holidays are coming up and this is a very, very intense time for a lot of Jews. And, uh, um, and I say intense in two ways, like spiritually intense because it's the new year and it's a time of year where Jewish, um, communities really lean into the idea of forgiveness and prayer for the new year, blessings for the new year. And it's, it's a good time to like reevaluate your life and think about where you are holding and what you want yeah, and a lot to of be deep grateful. thinking. It is. It is. It really is. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the other hand, it's also intense because it could be a lot of work. You know, we host tons of meals and go, go to meals and there's a lot of community gathering and it's, there's a lot of family, a lot of family. And the more like Orthodox you are, the more there is to do because, you know, not only are you doing Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, you're doing, you know, all the surrounding things that happen with, you know, Tashlich and Kapars. I'm not telling you what they are. You could look them up if you don't know. <laughs> uh, and then there's Sukkot, you know, a long holiday, but a really fun holiday. So it's just an intense time. And I wanted to just take a second to like tell everyone, like, take a deep breath and just like, calm down. <laughs> like yeah. chill out if it's too much. And if it feels wrong and if it feels like you're falling apart, you're not doing it right. And like, if it's, if you can't handle having tons of guests, don't. If you feel lonely, invite people over. Like Mm. really take stock of where you are and try to enjoy the holiday the best way because it's hard. And I I just see so many, and especially I see this with women who are just like miserable this time of year and just try your best to make it the best way possible for yourself. It doesn't, you don't have to have a tablescape. Like there's no rule in the Talmud that your your paper goods have to match every meal and that you need a, a <laughs> charger under your plate and your sukkah does not have to be Instagram worthy. Like it could be the simplest, most basic meal. It could be the simplest, most basic tablescape. It could be, you know, you don't need three desserts. If you want to, great. If you love, if you get enjoyment out of doing that, then call a kavod, go for it. But if it's too much and you're only doing it to impress other people, I beg of you, I beg of you, don't do it. Just mm-hmm. make it enjoyable for yourself. And if you need to buy takeout food, buy takeout food. Like just mm. make it simple and enjoyable. That's it. And That's try not to message. fight with all your relatives. This is like a month of Thanksgiving <laughs> dinners. I know. Just for I people know. who don't know. Um, yeah, exactly. And if you're if you're like me and not religious um, or not even Jewish, you know, you can yeah. use this time to, I don't know, gather with friends and family and maybe have a fun That's dinner right. and say what you're grateful for or what you wish for the new year. And then Yom Kippur is pretty, pretty dope. I would suggest people <laughs> apologize to yes. uh, each other or, yes. you know, apologize and yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I really haven't done anything wrong this year, so I don't really um, see the 
point for I'll me personally. I'll send you personally. the list I have that I've been keeping <laughs> of what you've done wrong. I have a list for you on my phone. I'll send it to you. Um, yeah. But, you know, apologizing to yourself, I think, is especially good in this day and age when we're kind of like we have such high expectations and, yeah. you know, well, why are we not perfect? Um that's right. But That's right. yeah, well, it's not like we're going anywhere. We're still going to be recording and we're still going to oh, yeah. send us this our emails. Yeah, this is not a goodbye. You're not, le- you're a, not off the hook, listeners. It's not like we're like, new- oh, bye. You're done with yeah. us. <laughs> you're, yeah, this is, uh, this is our away. outlet. But yeah, you can send us your, by the way, send us your questions. Uh, you're always welcome to. We try to answer them on air or sometimes we'll send just send you an email back. Uh, askajewpod at gmail.com. Uh, if you go to our Substack, it's really fun. Uh, last uh, week, we posted some bat mitzvah photos, and people responded, and they were adorable. Oh my gosh, mm. people sent people like, "Oh, this is a photo of me. I'm so embarrassed." I'm like, "No, you look so cute." Yeah. Um, cute. So if you want to join the fun, it's askajew.substack.com. Um, if you want to help the Jewish people and you feel strongly about anti-Semitism. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts and go to Ask a Jew and rate and review us. Um, I think that's really the best with a five way star to, review, obviously. Yeah, with a five star review. Um, what else do we want to tell people? Do you want to tell them about our, our, our special guests that they're going to hear now? Yeah, so we are cutting this intro short because we had on a um, a guest that we interviewed um, and had, well, more of a conversation, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I, it was kind of an interview. Um, I feel like it was therapy. Like I asked him all these questions like about yeah. things that I wanted to know for me personally. Yeah, um, so we are so... So I feel very honored, and I think you do too, Yael, right? I don't want to speak yes, for you. For but, sure. No, uh, no, we, absolutely. We both feel very honored that Rabbi David Walby joined us um, for our pre-Rosh Hashanah um, episode. And uh, we asked him some of the burning questions that we have, and it was just a pleasure to talk to him. And if you don't know who Rabbi Walby is, definitely look him up. He has several books. He writes articles everywhere. He's just a fantastic rabbi. Um, mm-hmm. My second favorite rabbi, because I would have to say my father is my first and then Rabbi Walby. Um, <laughs> I don't, I, but, I don't like to choose. I like all the, all the yes, rabbis. It's true. Um, but yeah, so please, I go, although my son is now a rabbi, so I don't know, he'll have to fit in somewhere. Well, he'll, he needs um, to wait in line because he's, new. yeah, he has to prove himself first. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so please uh, listen to the episode um, that we're going to yeah. put out now. If you're not and, religious or you're not Jewish, it's just like, I feel like so much conventional wisdom that's yeah. that's not so conventional anymore um yeah. and um rabbi Wolpe, i also think is like so well read and mm-hmm. so kind of aware of what's going on in the world um we didn't really get to talk about this but he was uh friends and kind of sparring partners with uh christopher hitchens who was uh, the great right. atheist and they would debate a lot and uh something you don't really see a lot people do <laughs> nowadays be be friendly with uh people who they have profound disagreements with. but Well, and Rabbi Walby said he'll come back and we could talk about Christopher Hitchens. He did. we didn't even he get did. a chance to get to that. So we he should make sure back. that's that's on air, that's on record that he said he'll yeah, come back. Yeah, exactly. Maybe we'll let him listen to it first before he yes. decides. Anyway, uh, um, Happy New Year, Yael. Shana Tova to you. Shana Tova. Thank you for a wonderful year of uh, partnership and in this endeavor that we've, we've been on. <laughs> it sounds really like you're writing me a it. thank you note. Now, it's not like I you're am. breaking up with me. I'm breaking up with with you. I'm just ending the year. This is the end of the Jewish year. And I want to end off on a good note and say, you know, that I appreciate you and that I'm so grateful that we met and that we started this together. And we've built, you know, friendships 
outside of the podcast that, you know, are really deep, dear friendships. And I love the listeners that write in and we talk to and it's oh. just feels like we, you know, it feels like a I community it. and it's, it's, uh, I it's love, really nice. I, it's been like a net positive in my life. And, um, yeah. I love hearing from listeners, especially, you know, I joke a lot that I love our non-Jewish listeners more. Um, yeah, but I also when that. I hear from Hasidic listeners or Haredi listeners, I'm also surprised. Yeah. Um, because yeah. it's also not like a conventional uh, <laughs> podcast. Um, so and I should I don't apologize. Know, yeah. If I have to apologize for anything, I should apologize to my mother for all the times that she feels <gasps> like she's yelling at me. I want to apologize to your mother. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm first of all, I, I'm I'm just I'm sorry. I'm I know I'm a bad influence, but no, you're not. Honestly, no, you're think not. think how bad she would be without me. At least this way I can take off some of the heat. That's um, so funny. And well, do you have New Year's uh, Shana Tova resolutions? Uh, oh New Year's boy. resolutions? Oh my gosh. Do we, do we have Year's, to do that? We, we do actually, but um, mm. I don't know. What is my New Year's resolution this year? I definitely need to be better at communication. Um, that's one thing I need mm. to work on. I, yeah. I say that every year, but this year I really mean it. Can I make a, like a, just a side note here? I was listening to a TED Talk yesterday. And it was like about how you shouldn't set goals. <laughs> and and then I kind of played a game with our friend, uh, oh, yeah, wonderful, wonderful <laughs> friend, by the way, who we really need to thank, um, Gabby, know. who's our producer, and Mickey, yes. our sound editor, who we wouldn't, like, there would be no show without these guys. No, they're the best. Yeah. Um, but Gabby works in publishing, and and I said, like, every thing that's like a thing, like a set goals to achieve your ideal, this and that, you can make an argument that's exactly the opposite. And this argument on this TED Talk was like setting goals like makes you focus on the destination and not yeah. the journey and things like that. So um, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll not set like a goal goal, although I feel like it is helpful for me to set goals. I don't well, know. I want to be less on my phone. Yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, we should all do that. But our friend wrote a really nice essay. Great. I mean, mm. not nice, an amazing essay. Um, maybe we can share it in our show notes actually yeah, yeah. with this episode um, about just spending time. I mean, he, he wrote it about like as a parent with their child, but it really, I think the message is universal about anything that we think we have to spend quality time with people, but actually quantity mm-hmm. matters. Just yeah. spending time with, uh, with someone, doesn't matter what you're doing. Um, I think for the new year, that's something that everybody could really take into account. Just spend more time with the people that you care about. It doesn't have to be doing anything exciting. It could just literally be hanging out on the couch. It could be going for coffee. Um, yeah, we don't do much that of that anymore. Message. The yeah. hanging out. And I love that. I, I yeah. love the idea Playing of like, we don't have to game. go to dinner. Yeah. We can just sit and even, dare I say, even sit and read together or sit and, yeah. and do something yeah. or watch a movie where you're not necessarily interacting, but you're exactly together. Um, yeah, we'll post that link. And also um, just keep listening because you're going to get an hour with uh, Rabbi Walpi. So yeah, he's going to solve enjoy. all your problems. Uh, <laughs> enjoy, Shana enjoy. Tova, and Shana we'll Tova. see you soon. Hi, welcome to Ask a Jew, where a secular, sinful Israeli speaks to her holy, religious friend. I am Yael, here with my friend Chayalea. Hi, Chayalea. Good morning. How are you? How, how, how excited are you from 1 to 10 right now? I'm very excited. And it's a, it, this is a big controversy in my family because, as many of you know, I am surrounded by rabbis. My father's a rabbi. My husband's a rabbi. But Your son's a rabbi. Them. 
My son is a rabbi. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He just got, he just became a rabbi a few weeks ago, but don't tell any of them, but my actual favorite rabbi is with us here today. And I am so excited and so honored that Rabbi David Walpe jo- is joining us today. This is like a huge moment for me. Sorry. I don't want to fangirl too much. It's no, embarrassing. That, but That's incredibly kind. He's like the Thank Beyonce really- of rabbis. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I really no, appreciate I, that. No, we're so, so happy you came on this show. So I want to just quickly start off because I first saw you live in person at a JN, uh, at a, what's it called? Uh, yeah, JFNA GA, the General Assembly that was in LA a few years ago. Right. And you were the keynote speaker at right. one of the whatever plenaries. And to be honest, I didn't really know who you were because I grew up in the Chabad world. I knew right. only the Rebbe. And that was the only rabbi that I cared about. And I was on my phone and you got up to speak and you told a story that I was sobbing two seconds into, and then you became my favorite rabbi. And I read every single thing you've ever written and I follow you. And, um, and it was a story about, which I want you to tell, I'll just tell you which story I'm talking about, but it was about finding a Gemara that somebody had written in the margins. Oh, yes. This came from my father. My yes. father had a friend um, who uh, who bought a Gemara at like one of the, like why you used book sales or something like that. And he put it in his garage and he never looked at it. And he, he would use it someday or he'd put it on the shelf someday. And, um, and there was a rainstorm. And he realized that there was a leak in the garage. So he got scared and he pulled out all the Gemara so they wouldn't get ruined. And he opened them up literally to check just for water damage. And he sees on the side of one of the Masechdot, I don't remember which one it was, one of the tractates of the Talmud. I've studied up to here. The Nazis are coming. Please, if you ever find this, start studying from this spot in my memory. And I just, I mean, and there's so, there is so much in that story of Jewish love and learning and history and continuity and tragedy and loss that it's, yeah, it's a really, I, I will never forget my father telling us that story. You know, at the dinner table, my father, who was a wonderful storyteller, he used to um, share with us all these tremendous stories that were a great foundation for for life and also for becoming a rabbi. Mm. Wow. It's, yeah, I, I just remember hearing that and it sparked something so deep inside of me because I've lived so much of my life. You know, I've talked about this a million times. My grandparents are Holocaust survivors. I come from a very religious family, Chabad family. Like, and I ask myself all the time, why do I do this? What is like, why do I live in Long Beach, California and worry about keeping kosher and covering my hair? You know, all these questions. And that, I always go back to that story because I think like my family kept it, you know, they learned till this page of the Talmud right. and now it's my responsibility to keep keep going. And I don't know, I, it really resonates with me. And I just really, I thank you so much for that because. Absolutely. Thank you. I mean, one of the, one of the deformities of our country is that we don't really have an acute sense of the past and, and it's, it's a problem and it's part of why we have as many difficulties as we do, but, but Jews really do. I mean, we really do. And the closer you are to the tradition, the more of a sense of the past you have. So mm. I think that that's a good thing. I mean, it's it's the unremembered past that dominates you, not the remembered past. The remembered past you can deal with. Yeah, that's so yeah. true. I think we uh, we might have broken a record here. 
um, in our in our Holocaust mention so so early on in the show. <laughs> Usually it takes us a few minutes to get to it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you, you know what? I'm going to dive right into that, actually, because one of the things that you hear a lot now in the discourse around Jewish education is like, are we doing too much Holocaust? Are we doing not enough Holocaust? And there's this like tension. Do you have a strong opinion one way or the other about this topic? I actually... I, I, I mean, this is an easy out in a way. I don't think it's about how much you do. I think it's the way you do it mm. and, and, the, um, and the spin you give it. That is, I think it's really important to have a Holocaust education. I think it's really destructive to say you must be Jewish because these people died. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, I mean, that, and that's basically the way I learned it was, of course, you have to stay Jewish because of Auschwitz. Um, mm-hmm. It was Fackenheim's, you know, 614th commandment, Emil Fackenheim was a Jewish philosopher and very powerful in its day. The 614th commandment was you can't give Hitler a posthumous victory. Mm-hmm. And for people who remembered the second world war, that was very powerful. But for a kid today to say, you must be Jewish for a negative reason because other people died is not a compelling. And so I think the education is important, but it, this is part of what happened to your people. This is not why it's beautiful and wonderful and important to be a Jew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can also change, I guess, like for, for our generation, Chayla and myself, I feel like the education was very emotional because we grew up with survivors, our grandparents, you mm-hmm. know, our, our, our parents felt it firsthand. And, you know, I don't remember talking so much about the impact, but more like feeling it. Uh, right. And, you know, the new generation, we're going to have to find different different ways to make it resonate. Yes, no question about it, which is mm-hmm. a challenge because yeah. as I said, we're we're not good at history. Um yeah. it's not in America. <laughs> I also think it depends on the community. Like I think I've said this and I really believe it that the orthodox, especially the Haredi parts of the orthodox world have not dealt with the Holocaust in any meaningful way. And I don't know if there's an answer because you know if it's if if you want to go down the theological road it's an impossible road to go down and that's why like the Rebbe never really wanted to do that and he avoided it um, but I just feel like there's generations of trauma in the Haredi world that needs to be addressed and it's a lot of it comes down to the Holocaust because we are literally descendants of traumatized people and it's we haven't dealt with it. I, I also, I mean, this is, we could do another podcast on this, so we can move on from this. But I also think that the Haredi world knows, whether overtly or subconsciously, that many of the greatest Rebbe's, the deepest, most learned, were the ones who told their communities to stay yeah. and not mm. to leave. And so that also, there's a shame, yeah. um, which, by the way, I don't think they should feel because nobody can know the future. And, yeah. and this had never happened in human history. But yeah. still, the Rebbe is supposed to know all the right answers. Um, and that almost inhuman expectation of a human being means that uh, that it didn't go the way it was supposed to. Right. Hmm. Well, and I think it goes also to the question, and we, this transitions from the Holocaust, but to a very religious question about, you know, if we're taught our whole lives that everything Hashem does is good, 
right? Which is sort of the theology of the Haredi world, right? That yes. nothing, Hashem can do anything that's bad. God is goodness right. incarnate and every single thing is good. How do you reconcile that when you're a kid whose grandmother, like my grandmother used to wake up screaming in the middle of the night from her nightmares of, of the Holocaust. So it was something that I definitely like was a challenge for me. It's still a challenge. And I, I don't know, do you have an answer for people who come to you and I, say like, how do you, ba- I mean, this is like the age old question, yeah. but like, how do you explain <laughs> God in this situation? So I'll give you, I mean, I do have an answer. I'm not pretending that it's an adequate answer, but it's an answer that works for me and, and that I believe. Um, so this is what I say to people. Uh, first of all, when someone comes to you in pain, you don't give a theological answer. But if mm-hmm. somebody's coming like this, like honestly for a conversation, as opposed to I just had a terrible thing happen to me, um, this is what I tell them. Uh, the, there are two kinds of evil in the world. There's human evil and there's natural evil. Human evil, Judaism explains by free will. You can't say to God, you know, God, you can give free will to Cambodians who kill Cambodians. You can give free will to, to, to Phnom Penh, to, to the followers of uh, Pol Pot. You can give free will to the Soviets, but you can't give free will to the Nazis. Then you have to stop. So first of all, either you give free will to everyone or you give it to no one. You can't decide if you kill a Jew, you don't get free will. But if you kill someone in the streets of Chicago, you do. The tougher one for me in some ways is natural evil, which is a child born with a disease. How do you explain that? And the best answer I know, which again, I want to emphasize, not suggesting for a minute this is adequate enough, but it's the best answer I know, is I don't think God controls everything in the world. And I don't mm-hmm. think God could control everything in the world. I think God deliberately allows the world to be random for the following reason. If every time you do something good, you get good, like every time you steal, you get a disease, then of course no one's ever going to steal. Right. But that's not moral. That's just prudent. That's just smart. You know, um, if you're someone, as Pirkei Avot says, you shouldn't be like somebody who does something good to get a reward. You should do good for its own sake. Well, if you do good for its own sake, that means sometimes when you do good, bad is going to come back. Mm-hmm. That's the nature of the world. But once you know that that's true, you know that you can live a good, kind life and still die, God forbid, like Rabbi Akiva, mm-hmm. which is young and Suffering. tortured and yeah. so on. If you know that, then your good is real goodness. And the only way to have a world of real goodness is to have random results. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I understand the world is that it's an arena of moral growth. And the only way to have that kind of arena is if you don't give out, you know, cookies to every good deed <laughs> and you don't give slaps to every bad deed. So yeah. that's why when people say Hashem controls everything, I don't, I don't believe that. I think there's a lot of randomness in the mm-hmm. world and there has to be, but this is a different, obviously, theology from a lot of Jewish thinkers. No, yeah, I, I think I, um, I think people are really looking for always looking for certainty, right? They're looking for answers, yes. whether it's in religion or we see it a lot in in our generation in politics, identity politics, and uh, you know, people are looking for like here's the one answer why everything is this way. And I guess the you know to to, to give a a, a a comparison not to the Holocaust, but I'm Highland knows I'm I've been struggling with back pain for about two years right. now and. I finally went to like the, you know, top, top doctor, Jewish, of course. Um, and, you know, he's like the guy. 
And he looks at my MRIs and everything. And he says, look, I can tell you, I can point to you here and tell you this is wrong. And this disc is like this, but I can't tell you why you're in pain. There's just a lot Mm. we don't know. Mm. And it's almost like the more you know about the world, the more you're like, well, you know, there's no easy, like linear answers to everything. So there's, there's, you're pointing to like my, my one-stop diagnosis for what's wrong with our society (laughs) is we no longer value humility. Yeah. And humility really is like admitting, I don't, I don't know the answer to this, or Mm -hmm. I think this is the right policy or the right candidate or the right whatever, but I could be wrong. I really could be wrong. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and you so rarely get that. Um, And I'll share with you, since I'm talking about humility, I want to give you C.S. Lewis, who was a Christian theologian, gave the mm-hmm. best definition of humility I've ever heard, and it's good enough to like stop the conversation and mention it. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Mm-hmm. Which I, I just think, I just, I, it's brilliant. I love that. That is perfect. Yeah, yeah that's going to be hard for book. us to do, though, for me and Hyalak, because we think about ourselves a lot. <laughs> well, that's why it's so hard. It's true for everyone. <laughs> we're all... We're all the center of our own universes. Yeah, I think it also has to do with getting older too, right? You realize that you're not the the end-all be-all of the universe. Yeah. It's also because we grew up in a privileged way. I hate using that word, Mm -hmm. but I mean, we're, it's like we have all the time in the world to think about ourselves because we're not worrying about where we're getting our next meal or how we're going to pay for Mm -hmm. rent. And it's a, it's actually a privilege to be able to spend so much time thinking about ourselves. And I, I say that to my students all the time, like you have to get out of your own head, get busy with something, go plow a field, or I don't know, like go, go do something for someone else and you'll stop centering yourself in every single way, which is what we do. When you're young and you're and you don't eat off your plate, and your parents tell you there are starving kids in Africa, it's it's meaningless. Right. Uh, but at, at some point, it starts making sense. But nobody is depressed uh, giving out food at a soup kitchen. It's exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's maybe the point. people who are getting it are sometimes, but it, it's amazing the therapeutic value of doing something for someone else. It's just mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, so, it's true. Yeah, I want to ask you about. I mean, because you're. One, maybe the most famous rabbi in America. I don't know, or I don't know. Probably. I don't know the, latest, the latest polls have not come. Yeah, we're going to yeah, actually yeah. do a, a cage match between <laughs> right, you right, and right, right, right. I don't know. I mean, Rabbi I don't even Smully. know. Who, oh God, no, 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 no. Anyway, Is there, there's um, no, there's nobody who uses rabbi as a moniker like a doctor. Like you know how there's Dr. Dre and Dr. Pepper and all these people who don't have medical degrees. <laughs> Yeah. But you don't hear a lot about uh, no. a rabbi being used in in the in the NYPD where I used to work. There's um, when when you have right. like somebody who looks out yeah, for you, yep. they call that your rabbi. I but know that's that the from only Hill time Street I've heard Blues. it. Right? Oh yeah, <laughs> still they yeah. still use it. Yeah. <laughs> that's so Sorry, funny. Go no. ahead. But my I, I have a question. So when people come to you and they want to ask you, what what are you hearing from people? What's like the most like common question or, or problem or what are you hearing the most from people? There's, I'd have to divide that into personal problems and, and social problems. There's mm-hmm. a lot about polarization and so on and, and antisemitism, which mm-hmm. bizarrely, like I remember when I started out being a rabbi, I thought, well, this was my father's problem, but it's not going to be yeah. my problem. The Boy, gift was that I keeps wrong. on giving. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but personal, it's usually... Um, the two biggest are that something terrible has happened or that they can't find someone 
to marry and to love. Mm. And those are the, the loneliness. two biggest. Yeah, mm. loneliness is so powerful and pervasive. Yeah. What do you say? I mean, what's the answer to that? What do you do? You have advice for people who are feeling lonely? I mean, the the advice that I have is very pedestrian, but it's the best advice, which is to force yourself out to different social situations mm-hmm. and not assume that you will cure it online. And like go to gallery openings and go to dances and go to show. I think a lot of this really is because the attendance in places like churches, synagogues, so on is down and Mm. you really find a community there, a real community. Um, And so I think all those kinds of, they're not solutions, but they're, they're the only steps that I know that can help because there's nothing like another human being. A screen is not another human being. You need actual people around who mm. know you and care about you and, and whom you can care about. So with, with the breakup of the family and the fact that people are so mobile and the pandemic and a thousand other reasons, uh, we desperately need to reconnect. Mm. Do you think people are... I mean, you mentioned exactly what you just mentioned, breakup of family and technology and and movement. But do you think there are other uh, more emotional reasons that people are finding it hard to connect to other people romantically? Um, Well, there's I mean, things things changed a lot with all the social changes. Um, My brother, who's the head of the ethics center at Emory and is a sociologist, he told me that the greatest single social changer in American history was, and for that matter, world history, was the pill. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. now people could delay marriage. They could delay having children. Um, it was a totally different. And now women now are expected to be both in the workforce. And still, we have not changed the traditional role for a lot of women. And it's virtually impossible to be two people simultaneously. <laughs> so uh, also... Honestly, online dating is just, it's, it's not good for men or women. Mm. It's just that men don't know it and women do. <laughs> I really think that's the difference. That's so true. I really think so. It's a, bad, they, it's yeah. a bad thing. They say that bad. men, you now, know, I, I mean, obviously this yeah. is not data, but men like swipe right. They like, right. they select like 90% of the women and women only select 10% of the men. So I want to say, I, I want to actually qualify that by saying I've done a lot of marriages from people who met online. Yeah, and in yeah. some ways online is a wonderful thing because people can find communities of people who they otherwise didn't know were out there. Like if mm-hmm. I wanted to find, you know, other, I don't know, other people who are interested in, um, whatever in like uh, stories about the Talmud. How do, I find, how do I find such people? But all you have to do is go online and you can find such people. Well, we met so, Kyle and I met online on there you uh, go. So not, not dating, I wanna, obviously. I don't want to exaggerate. You say obviously, but you know, um, <laughs> we live in a different world. So that's I don't want to say, I mean, there's a lot about it that's wonderful and good. And I don't tell people you shouldn't go online, but there's a, but it's really, um, Men work visually and mm. women don't, not the mm. same way. This is a large generalization, but I, do, I will just ask your watchers and listeners, like, would you ever, ever have a billboard of a man's thigh to sell a product? No. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to, what does that have to do? But 
you would definitely have a, a billboard of a woman's thigh and men would buy the product because generally <laughs> women speaking, too. Yeah. yeah, generally speaking, and this is a large generalization, men and women work differently romantically. And so no, you're right. If you, if you put 5,000 women in front of a man, he's going to have a much harder time to form an attachment and, and it takes time to fall in mm -hmm. love with somebody. It does. You have to know them and know what they care about and know who they are and let them know you, which also takes time. Yeah. Do you have a, do you have a, um, an idea of what makes a successful marriage? Have you like figured that out in your head of like what, why some couples work well and others well, since don't? I had, since I had one that wasn't, um, <laughs> I can, I can speak from experience. I have, I have, I was married and had a child. We talk about it as being actually a successful marriage that ended. Um, mm. my, my ex is still a, a very, very close and, um, she and I are very, very close, uh, but, uh, romantically not partners, um, which I think is, uh, ended up being a good thing. And I, I would say that the crucial factor here was, um, it isn't just that you have to be, although this is important, you have to be kind and you have to be a good person and you have to treat each other well, all of which I think was true. And, and we were lucky enough to have a wonderful daughter who is all those things. But you have to have a conception of life that is parallel. You have to want mm -hmm. to live similar kinds of lives. And we wanted to live very different kinds of lives. And ultimately, that became impracticable. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say that sometimes people don't mention that, but sooner or later, after the initial romantic wave, you say, okay, now this is how I want to live. And the other one goes, no, 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 but this is how I want to live. Um, and, and so I think it's really important to not only find out someone's values, people always talk about values, but also their vision, mm. both their values and their vision. Um, interesting. But it's also a little bit of luck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, so are you single? Uh, are you yeah. single? It, yes. What? I did not know that. <laughs> this is a whole set him up I with have, someone? Oh my god. I have I have a partner. Oh, you um, do? Okay. I do. Uh but uh yes. So um <laughs> that was a very Fine. funny moment. That was a very oh, funny moment there. Kyle, I was um, about to send you a Shadchanit <laughs> like you would knock on your door in five minutes. Jewish. <laughs> Just uh, <laughs> Um, as with my wife, uh, that's so, so um, but that was a very funny moment. Um, <laughs> but I think that that's, and, and, and that's really, it matters a lot. Yeah. So, anyway. Can I ask since I'm, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm sorry, we're going there, but Kyle, I already opened it. No, what, what, what age did you meet your current partner? My current partner? Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I guess I was in my forties. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so quite a while. Cause yeah. we talk a oh, yeah. lot about, you know, Hyla and I have very traditional dating lives and yeah. um, really, I'm, uh, yeah, <laughs> well, you don't have a dating life, <laughs> but Hyla, obviously, you know, she had a shidduch, she met her, she won the jackpot. I don't know how, um, but her husband is amazing, wow. but you know, That's they went, on, <laughs> they went on six dates. Right. And, yeah. and kind of sealed the deal. Um, but my generation, people like me and, and myself right now in my, my current uh, love life, you know, we're, we're dating um, kind of differently. We're dating people who have perhaps have been married or have uh, adult children and kind of learning that, you know, it doesn't always go exactly as planned, but it's, it's pretty good, too. Right. 
Well, there you have to also make uh, allowance for individual temperaments. Mm-hmm. There are some people who all they want out of life is to have, uh, you know, a marriage and family and, and any, nothing else matters to them, but mm-hmm. that's not true for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's, it's really, that's why it's partly social. It's partly the social world you grow up in because I saw, for example, in my, uh, congregation that there was a lot of pressure on the, I have a large Persian Jewish, um, Oh yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Population is a lot of pressure on, especially the the women to get married younger. Yeah, that wasn't as true in the Ashkenazi population, but it also varied from family to family and from person to person. And mm-hmm. so, the, I think that you know, I, it's what I always say about diet books. If there was one diet that worked, there wouldn't be a yeah. thousand diet books. Yeah. If there was one, <laughs> there was one romantic formula that worked. That you wouldn't have shelves and shelves and shelves of this is how to find your love. There is no single cure. Um, you do yeah. your best. Yeah, I it's think hard. Of the, you know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that it's it's hard and complicated because we've also grown up now a couple of generations, you know, with Hollywood telling us, you right. know, a fantasy world of what love is and what romance is and intimacy. And it's just like, I, I don't know, maybe because I grew up in the Haredi world where they constantly bang on how that's fake and don't look at that and that's not real life. But, you know, you can't help it when you watch Pride and Prejudice yeah. every five days, you know, right. and you think <laughs> that you and you should be Mr. Darcy and, you know, whatever, yep. Elizabeth Bennett. And then real life is not like that, right? Real life is like much different and it's hard. I think that's why a lot of people our age and our generation really struggle with romance because it just doesn't look at all like what we think it should look like. I remember, I mean, I had this, this came to me when I watched the movie many years ago, the movie Ghost. Uh, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to, this doesn't exactly, if you haven't seen the movie, it a little bit ruins it. Not really, but, <laughs> but, but um, she's, you know, she's married to Patrick Swayze and he gets killed. And at the end, he, she, she encounters his ghost. And at the very end of the movie, his ghost like goes off to heaven. Mm. And, and I'm thinking, boy, I pity her next girlfriend, her next boyfriend. Yeah. Cause he's got to compete <laughs> with it, with an angelic Patrick Swayze. And, and then I realized, so does every guy in this movie theater. Yeah. And that's yeah. real, that's terrible. It's I mean, so how do you true. compete with that, with such an eye and all the lines are perfectly polished and they're always witty and you don't see like that he forgot to put the cap on the toothpaste or he doesn't close the window or he let the cat out, any of those things. Um, and you're right that, that the manufacturer of dreams does a disservice to reality. Um, and that's, mm. that's where we are. It's like seeing, seeing the world through the Instagram filter. Yeah. yeah. It's funny you mentioned ghost because I remember like the scene where they're making the pottery. It's so sexy, you know, like right. he's sitting yes. behind her and yep. they're yep. creating this bowl. So I like thought, oh my God, that's the sexiest thing you can do. So my friends and I went to do a pottery class and I was like, oh my God, this is going to be like in ghost. And then you sit down and I mean, I couldn't make anything. It was so <laughs> stupid. It was like, it's so dirty. It's annoying. It's like, it didn't make any sense. I'm I love like, wow. that that's what you took out of the movie. Like the passion <laughs> for pottery. <laughs> well, I want, what I really wanted was not the pottery. What I really wanted was that, yeah, was that emotion. Swayze. Exactly. Yeah. Sitting behind me 
with yeah. his arms around me. That's what I really wanted out of it. But, you know. <laughs> but we need to find our little ghost moments in our yeah. current, you know, lives and relationships. And But well, really find a little, little more like Chris Farley. Really get Chris Farley and not Patrick <laughs> Swayze in yeah. real life. Like from the SNL skit where they're dancing for Chippendale. You know, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't really have a perfectly good answer to this, but one of the most common dilemmas romantically that I was asked about was... I met this guy, he doesn't, I, I don't feel like violins, but he's good, he's kind, he's smart, he makes a good living, and mm -hmm. should I marry him? Because mm -hmm. if I don't, I don't know if I'll meet another guy, but I don't really feel a romantic connection to him. And that's, that's I, I don't know. That's the story of my generation. Good, yeah, I don't know that there's a good answer. Wait, what's the answer? Me. Tell, tell me. <laughs> um, the answer is that... Uh, there's not a good answer. Yeah. Um, it's, like your back, it's like your back doctor. Uh, because because I, I think that it's probably in part personality dependent. You know, I remember Lori mm -hmm. Gottlieb, the, the therapist, wrote this book, Settling for Mr. Good Enough. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I think that some people could and make a life. Mm -hmm. Other people in 10 years, they will have an affair. I yeah. really think that that's... So I think that's exactly and, and right. the problem is the problem of self-knowledge is that a lot of self-knowledge comes from putting yourself in situations that you can't know yourself until you're in the situation. You can't foreknow. Mm -hmm. So it's really difficult to tell someone you have to know yourself well. What will you be like when you've been married for 10 years to somebody that you've never been attracted to because mm -hmm. they don't know that until they've been married for 10 years and then it's too late. Right. It's difficult. Yeah, I think that's the story of uh, of my my cohort and a lot of us. Yeah. We've all women complain that there aren't good men out there, and and you know my my hot take is that there are a lot of good men out there that we're not attracted to for whatever reason, right. and somebody else might be attracted to them. Right. Yeah. Did you deal with a lot of infidelity in your congregation? Like, did people come to oh. you with yeah with affairs? Of and stuff? It was L.A. Yeah. Of right. <laughs> yes, and Do only in L.A. Is, does this? Uh, <laughs> no, um, I think infidelity is a chronic problem, um, be, in part uh, for for many many reasons. Not the least of which is, you know, that that monogamy started when we died at thirty or at forty, mm. and mm. now people live healthy lives to seventy or eighty, and and also when we lived in little villages, and now we live globally, mm. um, and so yeah, it's. It is a problem, and uh, it's one. I mean, it's funny that that we seek solutions for problems that are built into human nature. Mm. There isn't a solution for questions like this. Right. There are ways of managing it that individuals and couples and communities have found. Um, but you know, there's not a solution. Look, I wrote a book about King David, mm. so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's been happening for yeah. a long time. It is not a new problem. Mm. Yeah. That's when you, I just, I have a very strong opinion about this and I just heard this on another podcast and I disagreed so much with what he said. So I'm curious what you think. If a partner does something wrong, like mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be an, an affair, but let's say they went to a strip club or they were watching porn. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Do you think the person should tell their partner, admit it, or should you just live with it and not ruin their lives mm. and deal with the consequences? Do you have an opinion on that? Uh, so 
I think on the whole, if you're going to have a relationship of genuine intimacy, then you have to be honest with the person that you're going to be intimate with. Um, and, and if you decide not to, then you have to realize that when you lie to someone, what you're saying to them is, you will never know me. Mm. Mm. And, and if you're okay with being a partner and not being known or not knowing because you think you want to spare both their feelings and your own, then don't tell them, but realize that by doing that, you're making, you're creating an estrangement that will never go away. Right. Um, so again, there's not a great solution. It depends also what your partner is like. I mean, if right. you know, for example, if I say this to my partner, they're going to divorce me and then you might be much more reluctant to than if they're going to be angry at me, but we can work through this. Um, so mm. I have a hard time giving a general rule, but, but I think that that's the, the real issue with lying to somebody that you want to be close to is you've just made it impossible because they can't know you as long as mm. you don't tell them who you are, you know? That's and true. especially if you do something like infidelity, that's, that's a big piece of who you are. That's why it came out that way. Um, and so yeah. it's, uh, I it's hard. I'm, I'm curious which one, which one, which, uh, <laughs> what, what did I think? Yeah, <laughs> are you what asking for say? a friend? Hayala, <laughs> yeah. or? No, no. I, I, so I've always felt really strongly, like if you do something, and again, I want to preface this by saying I agree about the lying and all of that, right. but I also, maybe it's because of the community I come from or whatever, but right. I really think sometimes you have to just live with the consequences of your actions without destroying someone else, I think, including I think your that's partner. that's true if, what's mm. if what will happen, it can be true, let me put it that way, if what will happen is you're going to destroy your partner and your family and your, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I right. mean, I... I don't know. Like, I'm sure you've encountered this many times, but I think a lot of times couples are not on the same page, let's say religiously, right? right. And right. so I know this happens in in, in the Chabad world yeah. that I come from where one partner, you know, maybe is going on their phone on Shabbat, right? Secretly, with the yeah. other partner not knowing, right? And I don't, mm -hmm. like, if you know that that's going to hurt your partner so much, and I don't, if you don't keep Shabbat, it might be hard to like relate to what I'm saying because it seems like so stupid. But if you are an Orthodox Jew who takes Shabbat yep. seriously, yeah. it could really destroy somebody and it would destroy the trust between you. And I just feel like sometimes like, okay, if that's what you need right now and you're getting through your day by like yep. sneaking your phone in the bathroom, like, okay, live with that, you know, feel the guilt, deal with it between you and Hashem on Rosh Hashanah or whatever. And like, don't destroy your partner. But I get that like infidelity, obviously that's like a different, I mean, you know, especially if you're bringing home diseases or I don't know, like that's different, but yeah, right. I, I don't know yeah no, I agree with you. you. It, it just reminds me of how much it matters in the individual relationship and, the, and it's very hard right. to make general rules about right. such things. That's why you need a rabbi because you need to go and find out, <laughs> ask them like, what should I do? <laughs> well, Rabbi, you, you headed your, your own congregation in Los Angeles for many years and then you decided that you wanted a, a simpler, an easier, less controversial life. So you decided to tie yourself to two institutions, Harvard and the ADL, right? And, the Maimonides, to, to, and the Maimonides Foundation. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Just to balance it out. Just a little bit of peace, no. of peace and well, quiet. So what's, what's your post-Sinai life like? Um, so what I would say is uh, my, my place in both institutions is that I get to be me. 
Mm-hmm. And to the extent that it will that it will rub up against those institutions, I, I can't, you know, that that's okay. They're mm-hmm. both temporary positions. And uh, but but I also think that both institutions represent something very powerful and very big in Jewish life and in general life. And so I'm hopeful that what it will do is that it will both give me a different platform and also expose me to a different population than I had before, but it was just, these were the opportunities that arose. And, and, and so it was, they, and both, both were hard to say no to in different ways. Um, in part because, um, I have, uh, good friends, um, at the ADL and, and because, Harvard asked. So yeah, when Harvard um, asks, you don't, you don't say right. no. And, 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 you know, the, there is this, we all know it. There's this like magic. I was talking to someone actually who was a visiting scholar in the law school and he was from Germany and we were both talking about how he left the position and I left the position. We were both talking about how, when you say to the people you're leaving, well, I'm going to Harvard, they go, Oh, well, okay. <laughs> you're going to Harvard, you know, yeah. like if I'd said I was going to, you know, I'm going to yeah. the synagogue down the street, they would have killed me. Yeah. But yeah. if you say you're going to Harvard, then you get a pass. Yeah. What so, are you teaching there? What are you teaching at Harvard? I'm beginning in January. I'm teaching a course called Jewish Sources of Spirituality. Wow. At the Divinity also, School, right? At the Divinity School. But also, by the way, to those in your audience, this may actually be really interesting. Um, through the Stryker Center at Emmanuel in New York, um, teaching once a month, and then they're bringing in other teachers, Orthodox, Conservative, Reform from around the world, Aviva Zornberg, mm-hmm. others, um, to teach a two-year adult bar and bat mitzvah class. And if, oh. you work, and if you work with your local rabbi, you can also do a conversion class. Wow. And that it's called Yesod, and it's through Yesod. the Stryker Center at Emmanuel. And you can do that on Zoom. You can do it in person. We'll um, put a link to it. And I think that that will be a really wonderful opportunity for people to learn from some great teachers. So, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I definitely need something like that, a, a common theme in our uh, – in our talks is that I really don't know because I'm Israeli. So, you know, right. Israelis, we don't know a lot about. No, but about you know Judaism. Hebrew and Hebrew. I do a know lot. Hebrew. That's what Hebrew's I always say. I'm like, I sp- I can read the Bible. So leave me alone, right. you know, but I, I learned. <laughs> she has I learned no idea about anything about Judaism. Okay. I, I, she speaks I like Hebrew to, and doesn't know anything. Yeah. I like to explain the, my take on Jew. Like when there's a Jewish holiday, I give Chayalea my uh, version of it. And she just, she go- goes what? and reads Tehillim in the corner for me. It's, yeah, because uh, she's telling me a Rugrats version of some dumb story that she watched a video I, of. Rugrats right. taught me a lot about my faith. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can tell. But by the way, how, how like that's life goals. Can you imagine being hired for something just for who you are? Like, I feel like I when you're <sighs> a rabbi at that stature, like, it's not like you and I, if we're hired somewhere, it's because we know how to do a certain thing. Like, you know, like, oh, I know how to run their social media. But I would love to get to the point in my career where I'm just like, you just have to hire me because I'm, you know, yeah. I have this knowledge or this okay. kind of but, background. But mm-hmm. in all fairness, so much of this, as your audience, I'm sure, knows, is also who you know. Yeah, Because it was true. someone who said to the president of Harvard, oh, by the way, do you know that David Wolpe is retiring and Larry Bacow is a conservative Jew. He goes to a conservative synagogue here. And he goes, oh, I know him. He should, like, come here for a year. And, and that was so my, – my biggest, like, hmm. my biggest um, 
argument for, and I have no lots of arguments against, and I really don't like to get into the debate, but my biggest argument for affirmative action is if you don't get to know the people who actually run the things that make society move, then you're way behind, way behind the curve. It's the same argument that they used to make for allowing female journalists in the locker room. Because they mm. said, if you don't get to know the athletes, you'll never be able to report. And, and there's yeah. something very powerful about just making the connections with people that, you know, are yeah. influential. They totally. told us that uh, at the Kennedy School, they say, if, if you're getting A's in all your classes, you're doing something wrong. Because <laughs> you should be out there meeting people, like talking to people. But also, I feel like this, you know, and, and I don't maybe this sounds a little judgmental, but I, I don't know if it's necessarily the what people think about when they think of a Harvard education, but I think a lot of the education in the grad school is learning how to behave in kind of those settings. So how no to address people, how to write a proper email, how to network. And that's, yeah, you know, I started that's something to have more and more respect. I started to have more and more respect for my mother as I got older. And all the time she <laughs> told me to stand up straight and to, and to be sure I wore, was wearing matching shoes oh. um, <laughs> and, and all the so things true. that I didn't pay attention to. And all of a sudden, and to always write thank you notes. And yeah. all of a sudden I would do it and someone would say, that was real. I really appreciated that. And I would go, score another one for mom. She yeah, was right. moms so know. Moms yeah. know. Ugh, can we talk about thank you notes for one second? I'm sorry. I just, my son's bar mitzvah. I, I have... I'm going into Rosh Hashanah with a tremendous guilt about this. My son's bar mitzvah, my youngest son, was mm-hmm. last November. And I just found a box with tons of envelopes that we never mailed out that oh. were thank you cards. And I am so embarrassed. And yeah. I cannot send them now because it's so well, embarrassing to can. send it 12 months later or something. Of course you can. I want to just make write. it funny. Make it like, just like end it. thank you cards. I just want to end it. It's so annoying. Yeah, I know. Ugh. Pro forma thank you cards are annoying, but get Chat GPT to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but sincere um, ones, sincere ones on rare occasions, like when someone does something for you, they're yes. you know they're very no. Nice. That's true. That's true. Or, but bar mitzvah and wedding. Yeah, bar mitzvah I ones. Know. I remember sitting there for hours and hours. <sighs> yes. I know. Mm-hmm. See, if it you're Israeli, smart. you don't have to do that. We we don't we don't have those. <laughs> Although I do actually, I actually do remember having to write thank you notes for gifts for my bar mitzvah. Yeah, Only if you exactly. bring a nice gift, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's the Israeli way. We don't have time for this. We're, you know, there's right, a war. Um, <laughs> Rabbi, I want to ask you about our, our favorite topic that we, we talk about a lot, about anti-Semitism here, and we <sighs> like to critique different types of anti-Semitism. Okay. Um, you know, whether it's coming from the left and the right, I, as an Israeli, am, am obviously more concerned about you know, anti-Zionism creeping into anti-Semitism because I always say it's it's so easy to criticize Israel without being anti-Semitic. I do it right. all the time. Yet somehow people never manage to get it right. <laughs> they always kind of go into something like that. But um, how are you kind of less optimistic or more optimistic than you were when you started your career as a rabbi? Well, I'm surely less optimistic than when I started, but I'm more optimistic than most Jews. Mm. Okay. Um, I like that. First of all, first of all, it's my nature. I can't mm-hmm. help it. Um, and, but also, here's my, here's my two-second anti-Semitism in America talk. Yes. The reason that America is different, I hear all the time people saying, what if it happens in America? What, and, and I always say it can't, and this is why. 
Not mm-hmm. because Americans are nicer than other people, or not because we have a constitution, because the Soviet Union had a constitution. <laughs> doesn't mean doesn't mean anything. But every time, for most of Jewish history, there we were the identified other. There were Frenchmen and Jews. There were Germans mm-hmm. and Jews. There were Russians and Jews. There aren't Americans and Jews. Mm-hmm. There are so there's such a patchwork of minorities here that Jews aren't the one that everybody focuses on. There are a lot of different hostilities, hatreds, so on. And there are also a lot of alliances. And Jews have a lot of friends in the world in general. They're not the ones who go on Twitter and say cruel things about you. But (laughs) that's because they're normal people. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I really, I think that um, there is a danger of feeling too, I, I mean, obviously, we are, we have been around too long to take things for granted. Mm-hmm. But we also have been around too long to to cry panic um, in America in 2023 because it's yeah. so different from yeah. from anything in Jewish history. Um, so we have to be vigilant, but not foolish. Sometimes I think we panic about the the wrong things uh, as well. You know, the things that are maybe easier to identify, like a non-Jewish actor playing a Jewish role. Right. And the things Which that are a little more messy. About. I think like, that's perfectly fine. I thought Mrs. Yeah. Maisel was great. We um, always oh said, God. Helen, it doesn't get better than Bradley Cooper for us. Like, or Helen Mirren playing <laughs> Helen Mirren. Mirren. Yes, exactly. What and an the, honor. Well, the, other thing, the other thing is, um, I know as a rabbi, if I want my congregation to pay attention, I don't get up and talk about how beautiful Shabbos is. I get mm. up and say, they hate us. And they'll yeah. all pay attention. <laughs> And so there is a sort of built-in bias to leaning towards anti-Semitism because that's what, every, that's what gets everybody I, excited is not quite the right word. No, but it's mm-hmm. true. But it arouses everybody's because, and, and this is evolutionary. I mean, it's not just Jews. Uh, Jews, yeah. like, there's Everyone's a Yiddish saying, it. there's a Yiddish saying that Jews are like other people, only more so. Yeah. So, <laughs> a, so this is... It's the same idea here. It's like in, in you know, evolutionarily, if you miss the tiger, you got killed. If you miss the beautiful scene, so you miss the beautiful scene. Yeah. And here too, mm-hmm. if you don't see the beauty of Judaism, so you don't see it. But if you miss the anti-Semite, so you're in trouble. And it's so also, there is a bias towards it, but it's overdone sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes. It's also, I think, in like I'm working in the Jewish professional world, and it's it's also where the funding is. Like, it's something that we right. talk a lot about at Hillel mm. that you know we can get funding up the, I mean, to the sky yes. when it comes to anti-Semitism or fighting for Israel. But you know, if you want to look for a grant to support Shabbat dinners or for right. Rosh Hashanah dinner, you, they're yep. nowhere to be found. And so, I just want to, I'm sure you would agree with this. If I had like a wand and I could wave it over the Jewish community, I would fund Jewish education. Yes. Jewish education and Jewish mm-hmm. education. That's exactly Summer right. camps, schools, teachers, tutors. Preschool, 100%. Preschools. Yeah. That's, that's by far the greatest need of, of mm-hmm. the Jewish community. But, A thousand percent. I could not agree with you more. And it's, it's really, I don't know. I mean, we need to change the conversation, the way we talk about funding within the Jewish community. But it's hard to because the older generation is stuck in this 
fear of like, if they let go of the dollars going towards fighting anti-Semitism and fighting mm-hmm. for Israel, that, you know, everything is going to implode. But meanwhile, I'm like sitting at Federation meetings saying it is imploded. Like you don't, we don't right. have Jews in Long Beach who are educated enough. They need right. more education. It doesn't matter what's happening, you know, on the streets of Washington or even in the, I mean, I, and I, I love APAC. I love the ADL. I love all these organizations. But at the end of the day, if we don't have knowledgeable Jews here in Long Beach, what's the point of the Federation here or any of it? It's just Mm. our synagogues don't, won't have it. There won't be a point for our synagogues. So I agree. Have you been following, um, have you been following the whole um, Elon Musk um, ADL (laughs) spat on Twitter? And we we don't have to go too deep into it, but. Oh, yes, I, yes, indeed. I have not only been following it, I've a little bit been in it, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, there's this conversation going on and you know, I, I think the ADL does some wonderful things. I also think the ADL does some things that I personally disagree with. But it's much harder when you hear a non-Jew saying the, the same things that I say. Like I say sometimes, the ADL focusing on this is making a mountain out of a molehill or another organization is not good for the Jews. It's one thing when I say it or you say it, but it's another thing to hear somebody like so, Elon Musk say it, right? Here's what I will say. Um, Look, the ADL does things, of course, that I disagree with, too. Um, Mm -hmm. But when you say, when you're Elon Musk and you say the ADL is the greatest driver of anti-Semitism on my platform, (laughs) and i.e. the Jews are the ones who are causing anti-Semitism. Yeah. And you see, by the way, who it is that's promoting his message, because I have one of my, somebody who asked me on X um, about the ADL and you see everybody who commented yeah, and almost everyone who commented is a bot, a troll or a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Those, are the the three, frog. those are the three categories, the bots, yeah. the trolls and the Nazis. You realize that he has done something very destructive and very dangerous. And, and I hope that it dies down. And I hope, although so far, early indications are not good, but I hope that he learns that you can't be casual with your words when you deal with ancient hatreds. Hmm. Mm. I just, my issue here, my moral issue is that I, I have a crush on him. It's hard. Like, I, I want to be very, very angry, but I like Elon so much. And I like, I want to just yell at him and say, stop it. What are you even doing? But, yeah. you know. I think he doesn't, I think he doesn't think. The movies wouldn't be the movies without the femme fatale. The whole point was, you know, <laughs> you're supposed to morally object to them, but nonetheless. No, uh, but can, you, can you talk to him? Can you take him out to like a kosher dinner or something? I feel like you two would get along. Sure. Yeah. I would love but to I, talk yeah. to him. I, I, think, I, you know, I almost feel like sorry. if I could mm-hmm. talk to him, I could make that case. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but I don't probably know. agree. Who knows? Who knows? I, but I think people like, you know, people say a lot about Joe Rogan as well. Like, People don't necessarily, they're, I'm not trying to defend him or anything because I think he's said many stupid things, not just this one. Um, But, you know, we expect people to kind of go to the podium with their speech that they've thought through and, you know, their messages. And instead, people are just kind of firing things all over the place. And if you you fire out a lot, you're going to get it wrong. It's that. And it's also in the case, I think, of someone like Joe Rogan, I don't think that he ever thought through or was aware of or understands how incendiary 
mentions of Jews in negative ways are Mm. in this world. I just, I mean, we know it because we've seen it and we feel it. But I think a lot of people who have public platforms, like they really have never thought about that. Mm-hmm. And so they say something, and and then when it explodes, the hardest thing to do in public life now is to say I was wrong. It yeah. doesn't get to any credit. Nobody says, "Oh, well, you're wrong. We'll forgive you." They say, mm-hmm. "I know you're wrong. I told you you were wrong, and you're an idiot. And now you're admitting you're an idiot." And and so not apologizing has become the new smart strategy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. As somebody who works in crisis PR, I can say that that is <laughs> that is probably. Probably true. What what should we as Jews be doing, though? I mean, if we see something like that, like ADL, Elon Musk, I mean, obviously there's there's no moral obligation or maybe there is. But, you know, I'm torn a lot of times between wanting to fight back and saying, like, if I fight back, I'm just going to make things worse. Right. Well, I mean, on social platforms, it's really hard. One of the reasons why I haven't actually answered on X is because there is nothing you can say that won't prove to be further fuel for the people who obviously you're not going to persuade them. They're, mm-hmm. gonna, they're not going to say, oh yeah, you're right. Um, so my rule is like to get in reasonable discussions only with reasonable people. Um, good and and yeah. trolls are, I mean, people who post Nazi images online, what, what are you going to say to them? Yeah. <laughs> I want to shift away from anti-Semitism for a second because one of the things that I'm super passionate about is Inner, inter-Jewish relationships, okay, mm-hmm. and sort of how we are dealing with each other, both as North American Jews in Israel, uh, but also just, you know, Reform, Conservative, Orthodox, uh, all of that, because I feel lucky to live at the intersection of a lot of these different groups, and it really worries me about what I'm seeing going on. And I, I don't want to be an alarmist. I'm not, I don't think this is the first time in history that we've been in a place like this, but I just see a much more widening gulf between Orthodox and non-Orthodox Jews here in America mm-hmm. and in Israel. In Israel, and for sure. In Israel, for sure. But here too, right. I think there's just a gulf that is growing. Not, it's not shrinking by any means. And right. some of the key issues, you know, of, of conversion and marriage and yeah. you know, politics, I mean, are just getting worse and worse between the different groups of Jews. And I'm curious your take on that. What you think and um, what do we do? I, I agree with you. I think there are different issues in, in Israel and in America, because in Israel, there isn't separation of synagogue and state the same way there is here. Yeah. So in some ways in Israel, it's a much harder question to deal with. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, and you see what's happening in Israel right now, which is heartbreaking. Um, and, and also in some ways, not surprising that it was kind of predictable that some yeah. of these, you know, I heard, uh, I think it was Khaviv Redigor, I think it was, um, Ugh, who, who gave the most op- optimistic take. He said, look, these tensions were going to explode sooner or later. And it's mm. just like everything else. Once they come to the surface, you can actually deal with them instead mm-hmm. of being subterranean for all these years, which they were. So mm-hmm. I, I, that made me feel a little better. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He did say that. He, he yeah. did say that, yeah. So I, the, the issue here is, again, that people have incommensurate values. They just do. If I say my primary value is egalitarianism, so I will never daven with a mechitza, and someone right. else says my primary value is traditional halakha, so I will never daven in a mixed synagogue, right. what are you going to do? I know. I mean, mm-hmm. look, I had the I had the great privilege of, uh, I mean, I knew Rabbi Sachs, um, and 
obviously thought extremely highly of him. Uh, I wrote a long article for the Jewish Review of Books about his work. And I spoke in, uh, at the Memorial Conference of Bar Ilan in his mm. memory. And my one criticism of him um, amidst, and I want to say this amidst much praise so that people don't think I'm isolated, but my one criticism of him was he was a pluralist everywhere except in Judaism. Mm. So he, was, he would meet with other religions and so on and so forth, but when it came to, he would never set foot in a conservative synagogue, he wouldn't go to Limud, and this was because he, this was his inflexible principle, and I understand it, but it made it very hard um, if, if someone who was so sophisticated and so cosmopolitan and so universal um, couldn't, felt that he couldn't do that, then there's a divide that's really hard to bridge other than you can respect other human beings, but their Jewish position, tough right. to bridge that gap. Yeah. Yeah, I live with that all the time, you know, because yeah. I love being in spaces with people of other, you know, denominations. Right. I love learning from conservative rabbis and reform right. rabbis, and I work with many of them. And yet, you're right, when it comes to religious practice, like, I'm not going to a reform temple, and I'm not doing any of those exactly. things. And it's, and not only that, it, it, I, I, it's uncomfortable for me, right? And so, mm. my uncomfortableness makes the other person uncomfortable. And it's just, it's such a, I don't know how to like deal with that. I mean, other than to say, we have to just respect each other and understand that, you know, we're, we're trying to, to do the best, it. I guess. I don't know. Do you it's think like it's better Mark, than nothing? It's, oh, it's certainly better than nothing. It really mm -hmm. is better than nothing. Because then, then, by the way, if you respect someone else, when things come along that you can cooperate on, you will yeah. be able to, you'll at least have someone to call. I'll give you an example. The, the Orthodox rabbis in Los Angeles, they were not always thrilled with me. I'll just put it that way. Okay. <laughs> but I had a guy who would not give his wife a get. And I called a number of the Orthodox rabbis and I said, For our non-Jewish listeners, sorry. It's yeah, a, it's right, a I'm sorry. Divorce. Right. He would not give yeah. his wife a Jewish divorce. Mm -hmm. And I called a number of these rabbis because we had always had cordial personal relations. I said, yeah. if I write a letter, will you sign the letter to circulate to say that this man will not give his wife a Jewish divorce. And they all said yes to their credit. And when mm. I told this guy, I have lined up 50 rabbis from the Orthodox community who are going to sign this letter, he gave his wife again. Mm. So if you maintain human relations, then sometimes you can, you know. So, you can really, what we, so really what we have to do is identify those things that we could work together on. Right. You know, yeah. which it, it, in a way it's sad because Israel used to be that thing, I think. I know. And I now know. I feel like we've lost that. So it's even harder to figure out what are the common, you know, things or ideas or values that the Jewish community can get together around. It's it's a yeah. really... Well, look, I'll tell uh -huh. you in a very different way, but maybe this will serve as an inspiration. Um, Martin Buber uh, was once asked, like, how, how do we decide, he, how do we decide whether... Jews or Christians are right. And he said, mm. this is my proposal. We wait till the Messiah comes. He <laughs> said, when he comes, we say to him, have you been here before? He said, and if the Messiah is as wise as I think he is, he'll go, you know, I don't remember. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so that's thought, my proposal. Yeah. I thought you were going to quote the South Park episode where they all get to heaven and, you know, the guy in the entrance is reading and he says, uh, Oh, it, it was the Mormons. It was the Mormons were the ones who were right all along. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Do but you, do you I, think? I, oh, 
Oh, go ahead, yell. So please, no, we're both like competing for for this. But um, <laughs> yeah, somebody asked me. We we were just um, did another podcast, and uh, uh, the the host asked us if you know Israelis if we hate Palestinians and. And I was thinking, you know, we're, we're, we're so busy hating each other right now. We don't have time to, because, <laughs> you know, there is a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of animosity. And I see it, you know, obviously from my, I come from the secular liberal left in Israel. And, you know, I, I can't really say I have any religious friends uh, no. back, uh, back there. Me. Oh, back, back there. there, I said, you're my, yeah. you're, you're my token religious friend. <laughs> I know. Uh, but, you know, I wish that would change. <laughs> It needs to. That's why we're doing what we do, Yael. Is the because, I, mean, I think the only way lot, to unify the Jewish people is for people to support this podcast, honestly. That's right. I think that's, I think that's, that's our only... I think that's the answer. That's, that's our, yeah. our only... You know what the problem is? Yeah. The problem is that people, they hear, you know, they meet me or listen to me and they're like, oh my God, Orthodox women are so normal. Like you talk about 90210. And then all my Orthodox people are like, you're such an embarrassment to Orthodoxy. How dare you speak on behalf of us? And I'm like, oh, whoops. Like, I don't know which way to turn. I have a foot in two communities is always to be rejected by part of each. That's just yeah. I actually is. love it. I love it. But- I, I, really feel like I found my stride when I realized that people thing. criticize me on both sides. I'm like, yeah. that makes me feel like I'm in the right exact space exactly. for myself, you know? And you know, I don't like to compliment you too much, but I think the people <laughs> that you've, the, the the amount of minds that you've changed, including people who have personally told me that oh, they've never, nice. they never thought of Orthodox people like that. Oh, um, is nice. really um, granted you a place in, in Okay, wait, heaven. before we let Robbie Walby go, I mean, I yes. could talk to you for hours, but I want to ask you about Chabad just because, okay. yeah, we should. We All right, should. I'll tell you, I'll, here's my two seconds on Chabad, okay? Okay. Um, and, and I've never, I don't think that I've ever actually said this publicly. Um, but uh, so first of all, I know many Chabad rabbis who I think are among the finest, most wonderful, most joyous, most inclusive human beings on God's earth. Um, and I think Chabad does incredible and wonderful things all over the world. And I am not at all a detractor, uh, even though obviously, as you can hear, the detraction is about to come. <laughs> here, here, I have two issues. One is theological, but we can talk about that another time. It's about what they think about the relative states of souls of Jews mm. and not Jews and so on. Okay. The other is that uh, and, and I've had this exchange with several Chabad rabbis who, again, I really, I think the world of, they will ask me to contribute something. And I will say, in all my years, I have never succeeded in getting a Chabad institution to contribute to anything that I'm doing or that a reform mm. synagogue is doing. So the idea that the contributions flow only one way is to me objectionable. It's not, I'm, it's not like I don't tear my hair out over it. No, no, I understand. It doesn't keep me up at night, but that actually, because then I hear that you don't actually think my efforts are legitimate, even if they're efforts to do things like feed people. Um, right. So mm. until the Chabad institution is willing to contribute, I tell people I wouldn't contribute until it's reciprocal, mm. because that's what it means in the Jewish world. I give that's to really you, you give to me. Yeah. So that's, that's my feeling. Take Chabad. that back with you, Chayala. That's a- <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, yep. I, I think that, you know, there's, I work for Hillel, but I am Chabad. I'm a Lubavitcher. Right. I mean, I'm a full-fledged right. Lubavitcher. And so right. I definitely see the different strengths of the different organizations. And yeah. I think that the the liberal Jewish world could learn a lot from Chabad in the way no that question. they no 
focus on, you know, the small yep. actions and opening your home. I think that's the biggest, like yes. making yes. your home the center of Jewish yep. life. I think that's huge. But I also see, you know, some of the 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 And also weaknesses. the genuine joy and belief that Jews have a special mission in this world. Yeah. Which yeah. is so empowering and so powerful. And I believe so and 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 the unashamed, it's like the unashamed um, belief that our peoplehood matters. Yeah. Um, I wish that were contagious, and Chabad mm. tries to, to contagious it. If I can use that as a, <laughs> as a yeah, exactly. even our Reformed Temple now in Long Beach has yeah. like a public menorah. It's like even yeah. you know. It's, I think that's great. I think yeah. that's great. So it's so funny. That's my feeling. Okay, we're definitely we need to have All you right. back because I just scratched the okay. surface of things I want to yeah. talk to you about. Thank I you mean, so much. I enjoyed it. A lot. And uh, it's a pleasure to talk to both of you. Thank oh, you thank so, you so, so much so, for so your much. time. And Shana Tova. Shana Tova to be a good year for everyone. Year.